All right, welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor, and I'm my co-host, Jaden, and former guest, Calvin. Thanks for having me back. And we are going to start our series. Um, this is a director series. We're going to kind of follow the filmography of one director. Uh, he is my favorite director, Denis Villeneuve. And uh, I just want to give a little background um, why the movie we're going to be talking about today, Enemy, is kind of means a lot to me. So we talked uh, a couple weeks ago or maybe a week ago about um, Interstellar, and I think that movie for me while it is my favorite movie, it was kind of the beginning of this like renaissance for me where I started taking film more seriously and I wanted to watch, I wanted to branch out and watch things that weren't like these tentpole box office, you know, uh, blockbuster films anymore. And so I started watching stuff like, uh, like Requiem for a Dream, Mr. Nobody, A Scanner Darkly, just like kind of weird films. And then I landed on Enemy. And this was kind of the first kind of of these kind of more non-conventional films that I landed on. And I was like, wow, like this is, this is really something that's is hard to figure out. Is it literal? Is it metaphorical? Uh, you know, like kind of what interpretation do you take away from it? And it was the first kind of film I really watched and was like really thinking about. And that's when I started tracking the director more, and which I hadn't really done before. Where I was like, I'm really interested in what this person is putting out. I was just so interested and engrossed in this in, in Enemy. And I wanted to see more of his stuff. And so that's when I suggested to you guys we should we should do a... A series on him because he has the new movie Dune coming out, and so these we're going to talk about his English-speaking films because he's a French-Canadian director, so he has French-speaking films before this one. But these are his uh, English-speaking films, and uh, we're going to do a review on those leading up to Dune. And I'm very excited to talk about this. So thanks for letting me kind of take over the podcast and force you guys to watch these movies. That way, I, I have someone to talk with them about. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very excited to go over these with you guys. I know, right? And then to to the point, like why why are we focusing on a director's films? Um, and it goes back to the idea of a tour theory in film. The idea that the director is in charge of all the visual and audio elements. And that makes him more of the, the film's true author and not the screenwriter. So a tour theory is a little complicated and it depends on which directors you're talking about as well as what period of film history you're referring to because creative control is bounced around between actors and producers and screenwriters and um, directors at different parts um, of uh, studio formation, that type of thing. But we're, we're using the term a little loosely here calling referring to a tour because we're still going to mainly talk about the films um, and not necessarily focusing on his particular directorial qualities. But I like that introduction, that idea of an auteur, of someone being in complete control of the creative process, which I don't think he necessarily is, but he has, he's one of those ones that does certainly have more say in how his films um, final right. look is. There's a good interview I watched with Jake Gyllenhaal and he talks about him kind of being an auteur of sorts where it's like, he describes him as the final author of the film, which I think is a good way to put it. And mm -hmm. it's not like he's not willing to collaborate and take other like ideas into account, but he's still the one It's like the final say on what goes in. And, and that's what kind of makes him an auteur in a way. It's like, it's still like his stamp at the end of the day, but he's definitely like taken elements or, or ideas that the actors and uh, you know, other people have, mm -hmm. and he's willing to apply them to his film if he feels like they fit, which I think is a cool way to, it's kind of a, yeah, he does have final control, but it's a cool kind of, 
collective way of telling a story, which I think is really nice. Yeah. And different directors actually have a different, uh, a wide range of approach to how they want their actors to behave. Some of them just want ad lib. They want something as real as possible to come from within the actor himself uh, in reference to the character, their idea of their portrayal. And some of them are to the T, you need to be on this spot um, to the blocking with these lines at this time because this is the vision for the film. So all of that is like, it all lends to how they view um, film as collaborative or singular in terms of vision. Right. So. I do think he's interesting allowing like uh, like Jake Gyllenhaal talks about how he built his characters for the um, for both enemy and prisoners. Um, yeah, we'll be talking about that next week. Yeah. 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 So. So as I mentioned, this is directed by Denis Villeneuve. Uh, it had a box office of three point five million. I could not find a budget for this to save my life. Yeah. I, it, I mean, I think you can kind of tell by it. It's 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 a lower budget. I mean, it's I think there's there's an interview I, I watched where uh Jake Gyllenhaal for the Anthony character, uh, he was basically told he's like, just wear what's in your wardrobe, like, <laughs> like wear what you, like the clothes that you actually wear. Yeah, I think maybe the only thing he wore that's different is like the leather jacket when he's on the motorcycle. Huh. But uh, but essentially the whole Anthony character is like literally just Jake Gyllenhaal's clothes. <laughs> so I mean that that kind of lends to the budget of this film. He's like, bring bring it to set, or <laughs> we don't have anything for you. <laughs> that's so uh, crazy that you could get like the the kind of high profile actors and actresses that they did and. That's their budget for costume. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is kind of amazing. I think that kind of lends to the kind of director that Denis Villeneuve is. Is like they 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 got on board with this because they think he has this great vision. And there's interviews with Jake Gyllenhaal talking about how he's like, you know, he, he every time he goes on set, he wants to do better and he wants to work with someone who he thinks can improve him as an actor. And I think that's probably why you got a lot of people on board with this film, especially someone as high profile as Jake Gyllenhaal. Is like it, he didn't do this for the money. Like that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's pretty interesting. And, and uh, this was premiered in 2013 at the Toronto International Film Festival alongside another film that Denis Villeneuve did, uh, did which we we're going to review as well, Prisoners, which is actually kind of interesting because they got theatrical releases. Prisoners was the first theatrical release, and then Enemy came out a couple months later. But Enemy was filmed first. That's why we we're going to review it first. Yeah. And then Prisoners uh, was filmed. But uh, Jake Gyllenhaal stars in both. And I think he does a great job in both. But uh, but yeah, it was just odd to me. I, 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 you know me. I love trying to find the budgets in the box office. I love the stats. Couldn't find anything on it. <laughs> yeah, very strange. It almost felt like it was um, like government funded. You know, like it was a passion project. Um, it, that was the thing that like uh, back uh, in uh, Russian cinema, a lot of it was state funded for the for the purpose of being propaganda. Right. Um, for for the entire communist regime. But but uh, yeah, what like. What going into this? What what were your first impressions before you even saw it? Like, what what did this like? What did this seem like it would be? I didn't know anything about this. I think the the reason I was put onto it is I I saw like a review, like a spoiler free review online, and I was like, okay, this sounds interesting, and so I threw it on, and then I was like, I don't understand what's happening now. But it was I didn't understand it in a way that like intrigued me. Like this is it. it it's thought provoking and I am trying to figure out this movie the whole time I'm watching it. And so that's why I was so interested in it. Like, that's why this movie means so much to me. Cause this is like one of the first movies I interacted with where I was like, okay, like I need to look at film as like a, there's so much more going on than uh, transformers blowing shit up. <laughs> I was like, there, there, there is, you can, you can, you can put actual real stories to film even in an unconventional way. Cause this is not a conventional film in any way. Uh, it, but you can, you can tell these like cool stories and, 
it's it's you can kind of get wrapped up in it and come up with your own your own theories and we're going to go over theories at the end of this because there's just so much going on in this and it's so many interpretations i think you can you can throw on this film and they they still stick um so yeah that was my first impression going through because i saw this like back in like 2014 when it first came out and then i've revisited it in a year since and then a couple times now but yeah like i, I kind of like to think of it as like a it's like this neo-noir kind of sort of like detective kind of your, your, the story's unraveling in front of you and you're trying to decipher it as it's going. So the, the, the score lends to that. There's, there's a lot of stuff that lends to this kind of idea that we're, we're unwrapping this film as it's going. Um, so I remember, uh, when this movie came out, I didn't see it. Uh, that's because I saw the trailer. So I was like, Oh, don't want to see this. Cause I just looked at it and thought, Oh, it's just another weird Jill and Hall movie. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Every movie you or your sister are in are just fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> Every single one. Um, but uh, I mean, uh, and then I've watched it recently for the first time. And uh, since starting this podcast, I've been turned on to A24 movies like a lot more. And like, I've really started to like that concept, which is like the weird strangeness that like after trying to decipher throughout the film that makes it entertaining. Mm. It doesn't have to be fast paced. As a matter of fact, I don't know if I like those anymore. Um, but yeah, this like it has another slow pace to it. It's not a long, long run time. And it gets to the point even though it's not like fast it does I, do, I feel like it does it is fast though compared to like some films like i do think that's one thing. I, it's not it's i mean it's not it's faster than a lot of other films I don't well it's, it's only fast i feel like this is like the fastest snail in the snail race <laughs> i feel, i i think more of fast and pace in terms of editing and structure how things yeah. kind of come together not necessarily whether the plot moves quickly yeah. or interestingly that's more what i mean is that a lot of things are happening quickly yeah so the pacing feels fast yeah i mean it's this is a i think it's like an hour 38 minute yeah that's like what it's, I'm it's pretty yeah. quick much too short um it is too I, short. I, i'm actually fine with it because I, this movie already has so much going on in it in such a short amount of time i, I don't know that i could i could <laughs> gather any more out of this like i'm actually fine I, with the runtime of it because it is so it's so heady and there's so much going on and it's you're trying to unravel many, many layers of narrative in this. And it's, you know, it's like we said, like what's metaphorical, what's literal. There's so much stuff going on. So I'm actually fine that it's not, <laughs> I don't need like a three hour version of this film. So I found this one a lot more interesting than I originally would have thought when I saw like the preview and I was like 19. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, obviously like huge into like Marvel movies and stuff like that. And I've always like action fact stuff and things like that. I feel like that's fast moving to me. And that might just be because like the action and stuff. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I meant. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, this movie is like just another puzzle piece, like, or a painting that I have to put together. And I fucking love it so much. It's a work of art. It's not just like a money draw. And that's not what film should be all of the time, if ever. And, uh, yeah, I just think this does hit the mark for me in a big way. I like this movie a lot. I like, yeah, to think of it as like passion project. I think of it's like, it's a director and a who who has a vision, and then a, a, an actor who's like he's clearly not in it for the money because yeah. this, you know, it, it like I said, it's not a big box office draw. No. It didn't make any money, so it's like th- th- these are the kinds of films that you do because you care about them. And I think yeah. that that's translated like really well. You can tell like everyone involved in this really cares about it. Yeah, I mean, I would call this like a painted motion picture almost. Yeah, yeah, a collection of yeah. stills is what I like to think of film a lot of times, especially yeah. in something like this. There's so many great like establishing like aerial shots of this film, like downtown Toronto, and you're just like, wow! It's just like it, 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 
it sets up like the mood for all these scenes and stuff. And that's why yeah. I think of, yeah, like describing it as like a painting or, yeah. you know, it's, it's something that's just like visually like a, you just like looking at. So it. if I could go to like a museum that had paintings of like just maybe scenes from this and like Midsummer and Green Knight and just had like that weird music playing in the background the whole time. I'd be a happy man. That would happy actually man. be, oh, wow, yeah. that's an amazing idea for an yeah. exhibit. I think yeah, like, exactly. Like, yeah. like you go into a room and it's like, this is like the Green Knight room. Yeah. And it just has like different stills up and it's playing, it's playing, yeah. it's playing like the score to it and then you go yeah. into like the enemy room. You like go to the Green Knight room, it's all just like. <laughs> that would be, wow, that's an amazing idea. Dude, We you should become an artist. <laughs> open up your own gallery. You're, you're on your way to yeah. being a filmmaker. Yeah. That's an amazing idea. I I really you've like already that. surpassed me in terms of, you know. Concept. Creative, well, creative footprint. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing no that's a great idea because I, I do we've talked about I've talked about that before it's like you know you can like pause your movie and like yep. just look at something and enjoy it it's like you've you've put something like cinematically just really enjoyable on yeah. screen and I think it can tell a story in and of itself so that's like that's a super good way to put it yeah. I really like that I mean there's a couple scenes where I think you pause it I'm like oh I don't know. but like I don't particularly like the spider scene when it's all the tallest buildings oh yeah oh, that's I was, crazy I liked it the most I was, well at first I was like this is Stranger Things so I was like oh this came out before that yeah, yeah. don't forget that yeah. <laughs> yeah that's great and like I uh, I'm not super fond of uh, cityscapes as settings so that that part instantly was like okay well you know at least it has Jake Gyllenhaal there's things to like here um, you know the palette is is you know north of the border Mexico um, but that's fine. Isn't that odd? Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's it's does, like, it has that like really saturated yellow, that sepia tone to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not at like, all what you think of the great white North. Yeah. Thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You just see it like, this is not America. And that's basically all yeah. that. that I was like 24 said. degrees. What the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it looks like it's the desert out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I really got into this and I would describe this film as, um, you know, a Jungian soap opera, you know. Dude, you cannot help yourself. You have I, to bring him up in everything. Yeah, friend of the podcast, Carl Jung is. A, <laughs> I like that. That's how we describe him. From shout now out, on. Carl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. CGJ, <laughs> Carl Gustav. Um, it's hard not to look at this film without without seeing all of the influence of his psychology on the characters. I I don't think this movie works very well if you don't look at it from a Jungian perspective. I think there are things that are that are likable, enjoyable and interesting, but this and I will contra- contrast it uh to The Lighthouse. How we talked about how The Lighthouse is a film that you could talk about everything um about the story the plot all of that is very interesting very engaging um you don't even need to get into all of the deeper meanings and symbols and things like that to really enjoy that film i don't think that's the case here and i think it suffers for that i think you need to have an understanding of all of these other underlying symbols and metaphors otherwise this filming is just it doesn't it, it will not land for you the same way that the lighthouse is enjoyable i i totally agree i think if you don't view this as sort of like a traveling through this character's subconscious and uh recognizing kind of different personas he has like this is this movie doesn't make any sense if you don't recognize that so like yeah like you said when we talked about lighthouse it's like on surface level you can enjoy that movie just for the performances they're outstanding mm-hmm. uh but this movie is going to be a tough uh, tough one to get through if you kind of can't open up your mind and like 
recognize that there's there's more going on than what you're literally seeing on screen. There's subtext to this, and there's so much more going on to it. Yeah, and I, I think of the entire film as being completely metaphorical. I think of it as a drama of the mind. That's exactly the way I saw it, too. Yeah, yeah. I don't think a single person actually exists. No, it's, I don't think that any of it is real. I think it's all just like a story. That yeah, just, but not that just in like a flies goofy. in the face of all my theories for this. Film, yeah. So, well, and, okay. I, and, and I'm it's interested like, to hear. About I, it. I, I like it that, that interpretation too. Like, especially um, when you think of the goofy, like, Oh, it was all a dream, you know, that it still is trying to make it look like something like, like a, like a real drama um, in a real setting, but it's all entirely metaphysical. And I think that's it. it it's, it's amazing when you look at it that way. It's kind of funny that you say that. I watched an interview with Denis Villeneuve and Jake Gyllenhaal, and Denis Villeneuve describes it as a uh, a documentary of Jake Gyllenhaal's subconscious. Yeah. And then Jake Gyllenhaal turns around. He's like, No, no, no. This is uh, this is a documentary of Denis Villeneuve's subconscious. <laughs> he's like, He's like all the yucky stuff and all the all the madness that's going on. He's like, That's your mind, not mine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's I love- kind of interesting that you you bring it up as just being. It's not real. Like this is all like metaphysical. Mm-hmm. It's all subconscious. It's it's not literally happening because even the director, the people involved with the film kind of describe it as a, it, it is like a subconscious story. It's a subconscious narrative that you're going through. Yeah. So that's interesting that you bring it up that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're, we're more or less on the same page of what we understand where this discussion is going to go. Yeah. So, so um, the characters uh, who they're played by uh, in terms of relevance to who I care about are, um, <laughs> Helen Claire, who's Anthony's wife, played by Sarah Gadone. You, that's your top character. Yeah, my favorite one. Uh, that's number, actually, I like that because I think she's an incredibly interesting character. Yeah, I think she does a great job in this movie, yeah, too. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, there's some pretty cool like thoughts and opinions I have on her. So many layers. Um, second character is uh, uh, the mom, Isabella Rossellini. You're mm. throwing me through a loop right now. Yeah. These are not the... These are absolutely... Yeah. I absolutely <laughs> agree with him. Wow, <laughs> yeah. That's amazing to me. Um uh, third favorite would probably be uh, Adam Bell, who's played by Jill and Hall. Mm. Um, very weird, squirmishing kind of, I don't know, kind of scummy guy. I feel like I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I love his like stammering. Like I feel like if I shook his hand, despite how jacked he is, it'd be like very fish, fish like sweaty, limpy yeah. hand. Yeah. Um, and then Mary, who is uh, Adam's girlfriend, right? Who's played by um, Melanie Laurenette. Laurent. Laurent. She's the she's in uh, in Gory's Bastards. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. she, yeah, is. she is. I um, I knew I recognized her. Yeah. yeah, you're totally right. You're and a then, facts guy. Why isn't that in your like? I don't, <laughs> I don't look up everyone's filmography before these. Like, <laughs> what do you research at all then? <laughs> I have I have, I have some pretty interesting fun facts. Yeah. We'll get to. Nice. And then uh, Anthony Clare, Daniel St. Clair, also played by Joan Hall, who's just a douchebag. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. I I have a hard time. I would put Anthony a little bit higher. I would put him up at. at uh, Mary three. is almost last. Yeah, Very Mary. Close. Mary exists only. We. I'll. I'll explain exactly what she is to this, but she is. She is a, just a plot device. Yeah, um, I she's, agree. She's I a like, symbolic yeah. res- representation. She's not of, really uh, a character to me either. She's yeah. just a, a a thing that. Like exists. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't know who uh, plays the elevator, the doorman guy, or whatever in the apartment building. But I like him more than Mary. <laughs> Yeah, he's he, that's an interesting character yeah. as well. He's but. weird. I want to know what the fuck he's talking about. I I will add one more character to that that I think is really important. Um, it's actually the teacher, his colleague in the teacher's. Oh lounge. yeah, yeah. He he makes a huge huge difference in this movie. Yeah, I think 
I think my actual interpretation, like the way this I'm going to look at this is entirely in a, in a union perspective. So you have, um, for a little review, you have, um, conscious mind and unconscious mind. And for Jung, uh, the unconscious mind is split into three levels. You have the shadow, the parts of ourselves that we ignore, we keep hidden. They're generally negative things. They, they manifest, uh, negatively and they will, um, also manifest as complexes usually so mental disorders that type of thing and then you have that of the anima and the anima is uh you know the personification of all feminine psychological tendencies in a man's psyche such as receptiveness to the irrational vague feelings and moods and capacity for personal love but also for his relation to the unconscious and then you also have the true self who sits even further deeper um, in the unconscious. And I think the true self here is actually represented by that teacher. Oh, okay. Yeah, but we'll get more into why I think all of these things. That's an interesting take because I sort of thought he was just kind of a a throwaway plot or a throwaway part or like a plot device to get um, Adam to start researching Anthony because I think there's a lot of... I, I, again, I'll get into my theory, but I think there's a huge connection in, into why Adam starts becoming more interested in Anthony and then Anthony's character becomes more developed and, and why they all work together. Uh, I sort of thought he was just thrown in there to kind of like get you to that point where he watches the movies that Anthony is in. Yeah, I thought he was important, but only as like a device. Yeah. Like yeah. without him, the movie doesn't move. So that's interesting to me that you think of him as like a more relevant character because yeah. I don't. And it's a uh, Tim Post is the uh, the guy in the elevator. Okay. In case, in, in case you were wondering, he's titled as Anthony Concierge. Nice. Oh, yeah, that's right. all he is. It's funny because he doesn't even talk to Anthony once. Yeah, you're <laughs> so right. Yeah, because he's in the elevator without him. Yeah, you're right. So I had an interesting kind of experiment I did during the film because uh, I was trying to figure out, like, you know, which persona is real? Are any of them real? Which one is the dominant one? Stuff like that. So I kind of timed which character has the most screen time. And I did it in a way it wasn't like because they have some they have some scenes where it's cut between them. So I didn't count those. They obviously have time where they both Adam and Anthony are on screen together. So I didn't count those either. It was like when the narrative clearly switched to one or the other character's perspective. And Adam has 56 minutes of I think it's like narrative screen time where it's his story. And Anthony has 14 minutes. And you can give or take a couple minutes. You know, I'm using the stopwatch and I'm also trying to take notes and pay attention to this. But if you really think back and watch the movie, when it's clearly Anthony's perspective, it's such a small part of the film. It takes 33 minutes for Anthony to even like really be on screen. The The whole beginning of the movie is all Adam. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's that, that played into some of my theories of like, you know, which one is the real one, which one is kind of the, this like subconscious manifestation, because I was like the, the movie more revolves around Adam than it does Anthony. And I just think that's kind of an interesting thing to think about moving forward is just kind of the amount of like narrative screen time they have. Yeah. That's, that's so fascinating. Like it just doesn't feel like that hard of a split, you know? I mean, I w- I didn't feel like that after Anthony had entered on screen, but definitely like before that, like it's all Adam. I mean, for a big chunk of the beginning of the movie. Well, yeah, like half yeah. his half of his screen time comes from the very beginning. Yeah. So it's 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 after that, it's kind of split up a little bit more. Yeah. But especially towards the end, there's like there's big parts where it's just Adam. Uh, you know. Well, yeah, because uh, Anthony's scenes with Mary are very short. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I, I just thought that was an interesting way to think about this is this is not like a you're not watching two people like equally. You're getting oh. you're getting one character really heavily and then and then you're kind of I think part of it is that Anthony is kind of like he's this really like brash, abrasive character. And so like when he's on screen, maybe his presence is felt more. And so maybe it feels like he's in the film more. But I mean, just analytically, if you look at it, Adam takes up way more of like the narrative uh, structure of this film than Anthony does which I think is really interesting. And that played into some of my theories, which I uh, immediately abandoned the second time I watched this movie. <laughs> I was like, it is so hard to figure out what is going on. So mm-hmm. I just think that's like an interesting little point to bring up. Yeah. And so I guess we can jump into, you know, the main key scenes. Um, I think the most important thing is that first scene, that uh, the whole strip club thing is... It's it's a self-contained allegory for the entire film without giving anything away. The entire film is summed up with the shot of the stiletto about to crush the spider, just like Eve, whose heel would crush the head of the snake of Satan. And I thought that was really poignant, but we don't know that until the end. So, And I think that's a really a good point of like what a really good film does. It gives you just enough clues. And Denise actually said this in a few interviews, gives you just enough clues to figure out the important things when looking back on them without hitting you over the head with, you know, like a cuckoo bird documentary or some shit. (laughs) I have a totally different take on that. Um, So, we'll get into what the spiders mean later. And so I have trouble. I can't really describe the scene without giving away what kind of what we want to discuss more later. But one thing I did take away from that scene is like, I think it's hard to tell if it's Anthony or Adam in that scene, at least for me. Uh, And, and he puts his hands over his face, almost like he doesn't want to be there. Like he's, he's kind of coming to this realization, like he's, he's indulging in some habit he doesn't want to be a part of. And so that's kind of what I took from that that scene without kind of getting into what I think the spider means. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, I, I didn't take that at all. And that's why I think it's interesting to have these conversations because I wasn't thinking about any of that. Yeah, don't worry. I'll set you straight. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> See, I mean, definitely sets the tone up for the movie. It's very strange and dark and, and there's a spider and fucking God knows why. Uh, that's the way I felt about it when I first saw it. Um, and they see Jill and Hall. Um, I mean, my overall thought is that I do believe that's definitely Adam, but uh, mm. that only find out I think after the movie ends. Yeah, and I yeah. do love just the way that they've set all of that up, the way they keep switching between all of the other men and their eyes. Yeah. This idea of voyeurism and and sexual pleasure, um, you know, objectification of women. That's very obvious when how we're setting the tone of what the themes are for this entire film. Which I will say, because like I said, I watched this for the first time in. 2014 and I, I had no idea what was going on in this scene and I have much clearer uh, more concise ideas now but I think on like a first viewing like this is so hard to figure out even what's happening in the scene and it's 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 a struggle I think and because it's right at the beginning and so you're already thrown into this narrative that you don't even get and it's 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 hard to figure out I I, I this is a this is a tough film <laughs> yeah and it's weird like when you actually watch a lot of films you'll notice that a lot of films do start out this way they they start out with something that is very representational that's like a it's like an, a self it is a self-contained allegory for the whole film or it's a metaphor it means something i mean even like vivarium like that it's it's stupid it's so it's so over the top obvious oh my god you're so right but where it's the, just the birds at the beginning yeah <laughs> listen but, to our review on vivarium oh yeah my gosh. yeah just if you want to an exercise and displeasure that is uh that's that 
We love that the, movie is tough to get through in an entirely different way than this is. This is tough to get through because you have to think for this movie. That movie is tough to get through because it's like, why is this still going on? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's like the difference between having like a piece of gum or a chewy piece of meat or something. It's like, I just want this over with. I like to describe, <laughs> I, I think I talked about it. It's like that movie is style and it has a substance in it. It's just not an enjoyable substance. Yeah. This movie is style and thought provoking yep. substance. This yeah. is a, this is something that like gets you going while you watch it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. makes me more intrigued instead of less. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it, it reels yeah. you in, and like I don't understand what's happening, but I'm, yeah, I want to know where I'm. We're going. I'm involved now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and then and then so after we have that, we've set we set the tone for this very strange film. Like, are we gonna, are we gonna be given anything? And then from there, we have this this whole montage of Adam's character and I call it a montage, but it's really like 10 or 15 minutes of him going about his daily life. But it's the same thing over and over. You know, you have uh, him going to bed and uh, uh, with Mary, them having sex, him teaching the lecture, all of these and walking through the city, these things over and over again. And I wondered what, like what, what you picked up on with this idea of repetition. Yeah, so I, I think he, he even talks about it like um, in his lecture later I on. I think so too. About how yep. history is just repeating itself and it's just it's a it's pattern. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just him going through these motions and I almost wonder if it's a it's it's like how Calvin said he's like this whole movie is not literal. It's all like a metaphor. Yep. Uh, so I actually don't think that those scenes are happening literally consecutively. I think this is him repeating this like a lustful pattern of yeah. of infidelity over and over again with Mary is just like the the character he's chosen to like represent that. Yeah. And so I don't think he's doing cuz it shows him doing like the same lecture sure. twice. Yeah, it's got to be it can't be the next day or yeah. something like that. It's got to so, be to me yeah, exactly. Or something yeah, like it'd be yeah. It, it's to me it's him it's him going through these motions over and over again this this pattern of infidelity he has where he's 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 he does the lecture and then it's immediately followed by him sleeping with Mary and and then it repeats that again. And so I, I don't, I think there are some literal portions of this movie, but that to me is to, uh, just a representation of his like continued lust and infidelity. I don't Why do think, you call it infidelity though? Because I think Adam and Anthony are two personas in the same body. But he's not married then anymore. But he, um, but that's what I'm saying. But he is though. Like that, that person is, maybe that persona is not, that's why I think, okay, we can get into more later because I think uh, Adam is more of a manifestation of his, when he does cheat, he becomes a different person where he's no longer, he's no longer being unfaithful. He's just a teacher who is now dating someone else. Mm-hmm. And so Anthony segments that part away from him. And so Anthony isn't cheating anymore. It's Adam who just has a different relationship. It's not Anthony cheating. And so that's why I think it's it's still some some level of like infidelity, some level of like lust that's taking over there. So that's, I can get into it more like when we go over our theories in the end, but that's why, that's why I think of that. Cause I think when you, when Mary is involved, it's, that's him being unfaithful. It's whatever the true persona is being unfaithful and it's just being represented through Adam is sort of what I think. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I noticed right away, I was like, he doesn't give a fucking shit about Mary like at all. That's what I felt immediately. Because she's always like, she hops right out of bed, gets yeah. dressed really quick, and leaves. then just leaves. There's like no dialogue in between them, really. Yeah, it's um, just a thing they do. Yep. Yeah, He's like, I this totally is agree. just a human for me to have sex with. That's all this is. Yeah, and it just felt very awkward to me, the whole 
the whole beat, like when I first saw that scene, it's like this is fucking weird as hell. Like, why is he didn't seem like this kind of person? Like when he's doing his lecture, like oh, he's a teacher, right? Like you know, he cares about stuff and like he wants to do something that's important. But then like goes home like oh, you're just like wasting your fucking life away. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, uh, I went and listened to a bunch of interviews, and Denis Villeneuve even says he's like this. This film is set up that you can think about it as either two people or one person. I just choose to, at least for some of my theories I have, is to interpret them as one person and it's like a struggle to see which persona will like have control. Yeah. And so that's why I think of it as being like infidelity is because cause I still think that they are, they're one body, just two personas inhabiting it. And so like on a technical level, like, yeah, there's some level of infidelity because he's married to Helen still. So that's why, that's why I put it that way. And, and you know, it's it's set up to be interpreted either way, which is why I think like all the theories that we're going to come up with the end, they all matter because there's enough ambiguity to this film that you can have theories that make sense. And right where all of this ends and before the real narrative begins, we have a couple really big symbols and clues as to what's going on in this film. You have the chalkboard. And obviously we had the words at the beginning that chaos is order yet undeciphered. Right, that's actually right. written on the chalkboard. And if you think of... I actually didn't catch that. I, I saw him writing something. I just didn't, I didn't catch what it said. That's cool. Yeah. And if you think of, you know, like you think about Charlie from uh, uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, that meme with him, like <laughs> yeah. all the string notes. <laughs> right, right. If you think of all of those bubbles and lines as being a web of chaos on his chalkboard we start to get a sense of what the spiders are starting to mean. They're all of this chaos, inner turmoil, all on the on the chalkboard right, right there. And then I like to look for, there are certain films and certain directors that love to hide innocuous phrases in their films, and they're the whole point. I don't think there's one particular one here, but he did hide one that's really hard to hear. It's not even, and the most important line is not actually even in the subtitles, but the last lecture he gives is, as it's fading out and he's in his apartment, um, a creative act of memory, to remember something, to remember somebody, is a product of the feminine. It's always colored by emotions. This is our first clue about why we should be interpreting things, I think, in a Jungian perspective, because that is something that's directly lifted from a lot of his psychology. That's why I love having you on here, because you have that perspective that Jaden and I definitely yep. don't have. Uh, I like to dive deep and try and figure out what's going on here, but I don't have like I just don't have that uh, that extra gear to pull from. So that's I, I always love when you. A friend of the podcast. I love when you bring Carl Jung. <laughs> yeah, one maybe one day we'll have him on. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right, so I think we want to get into kind of the introduction of Anthony, and it first takes place when uh, Adam makes the phone call to Anthony's house. Yeah, and I think it's it's the second time he calls the house. Yeah, because the first time he calls and uh, he Anthony's Helen. wife Helen, Helen picks yeah. up. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting when Adam's on the phone. He goes. He says, this is Anthony. And what he means is like, this is Anthony. Like I'm speaking to Anthony, but I like that he says, this is Anthony. To me, that's like a hint that they might be the same person. Oh. Like that was a, that was a little bit I picked up on. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you kind of had the phone call, like carries on from there. And Anthony's like, don't ever call here again. And uh, then you move on to, uh, hangs up the phone and he takes a note. And I think that note is important later. We can touch on that uh, 
afterwards. Yeah. But uh, then he goes and has that conversation with uh, Helen, and she's like, who are you talking to? Yeah, which derives from him taking a note. He's like, or like, uh, he's like, yeah, it was, it was a man. It was a man, Helen. And during the middle of that conversation, when he goes down. Exactly, the yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I just think it's, because uh, she wants to know, she's like, are you seeing her again? And that's why that's why I bring up like the infidelity, because I think I think part of them kind of share this same, this same struggle with being faithful. They, they have these lustful thoughts. And I think one is just a, a greater manifestation of it than the other. That's why I think there's kind of like segmented parts between them. Yeah. And so I think they both struggle with it. It's kind of this like shared concept between them. And and I I just love Helen in this because I think we all kind of agree she's this amazing, interesting character. And I almost think in a way she's kind of a representation of the audience watching this. Yeah. Because there's parts in it where she says later on, she's like, what is happening? Yeah. And that's literally how I felt watching this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is going on here? <laughs> like, and just, uh, I mean, you bring up they may be the same person. And like, so you think that uh, Adam or Anthony, whatever his real name is, is cheating on Helen with Mary. Is that something you think? I, I don't know because I have two theories. I have one where Adam is the real persona yeah. and Anthony is like this manifestation. And we will get to those later. And I have one where Anthony is the real persona and Adam is a manifestation. Yeah. Either way, I think I think Helen is just like kind of this observer to the whole thing, and I think she's kind of our window into like having a. She mirrors like I think the interaction that the viewer is having with the yeah. film. Uh, just one thing that I noticed is so when Anthony is following Mary, he looks right at her high heel. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll bring it all about. But I think what's interesting, you keep saying that uh, you're not sure who's who, um, whether they're one person, whether they're two people. I think our ver- first visual clue that they are the same person is the idea that the bathroom is a portal. That when one goes into the bathroom and then we cut to the other, he's coming out of the bathroom. Whenever we cut between them, they're in the spot that they that the other one ended. And that, I think, is, is to tell you that these are the same people. They're moving through the same piece, through the same space, but they're just reacting differently, psychic, different psychic states. And right. it starts with a phone call because Adam steps into the bathroom for unknown reasons. He's in his own house by himself. <laughs> I was like, this dude's weird. And then Anthony comes out of the bathroom to speak with Helen in the very next, like in the cut where they change between characters. Yep, exactly. And I think there's, an, there's another scene later on. This isn't like... You know, we're not like jumping forward and ruining anything. There's a part where after Adam and Anthony meet up, uh, Anthony goes into his bathroom and it's kind of a it's a kind of an odd shot because the rest of the film isn't really used this technique. The camera kind of pans around and lines up with the bathroom and you see Anthony in the bathroom where he's just like staring at the mirror. And I think it's an intentional shot because it's kind of different than the way the rest of the film is really done. It does these a lot of like lingering shots. And this is one where the camera is like moving around to like show Anthony in the bathroom. And so I, I do agree with you. I think for whatever reason, they chose the bathroom to be an important spot, yeah. which is odd to me. But <laughs> but I do think like th- there is intention behind it for sure. Yeah, I do like speaking of, uh, you know, a few auteur qualities. Um, Denise seems to like to put characters in rooms in the background so we're in the foreground of a room and they're in the background of another one and it's bracketed we'll see it even more in prisoners but especially he loves to 
he likes he's not a consistent thing that he does but every now and then he likes to have characters walk behind objects between and so there's an object like a wall or something in between the camera and the character like there's one shot where mary goes to bed and the camera is outside the apartment mm-hmm. and it tracks on the outside as uh she walks through the door to the bedroom so we're in the living room but on the outside of the apartment and then we're in the bedroom right seeing her go to bed and we still see it's it pivots uh, uses a um jig uh adam's character actually is the pivot point he's in the shot basically the whole time as it goes around the exactly as around the wall and then this is where everything gets crazy now everybody's meeting everybody yeah and uh i don't know about who we want to talk about first i think i have this whole section um as meetings because i think that's what's there there's not one more important than the other it's all of these different characters um and i i would actually call them um personifications of whoever the real person is we'll say that the real person is adam i think all of these characters are personifications of different parts of his unconscious and so they're all coming together and that's where all of the conflict is because everyone nobody gets along I think you're exactly right. I think that's a really good way to put it. Uh, do we just want to go like chronologically, which one happens first? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fine with me because then we can just start talking about everything that gets, starts getting tied together because that's what's happening. Is it's, it's, we're bringing all of these characters together we're, and we're tying together other elements throughout the film that we've seen and suddenly we get a more cohesive picture. So first we have Helen and Adam meet. Um, it's outside uh, the university that Adam teaches at. And again, I think this speaks to Helen kind of being this representation of the audience because at this point, I think you're not really sure who's who in the zoo here. Like, which character's real? Which one? Is it two people? Is it one person? And Helen meets Adam and she just is like flabbergasted. Like, this look on her face, she can't understand why Adam doesn't recognize her. Like, he asks how long she's been pregnant. It's like, you know, you're the father. Like, you're married to me. Yeah. And I think us as the viewer, we're thinking the same thing. It's like, wait, why doesn't he know? Like, it must be two people then. It's it's just this, like, she has this look of, like, kind of shock on her face. Like, she yeah. can't understand what's going on. And that's how I felt watching this scene as well. Yeah, no, I, just, I think it's uh, yeah, it's weird as hell. I mean, Helen's reactions to it are amazing. I think she does a great job in that scene. Um, without, like, when there's no dialogue, when she just sits down very quietly and she's like, why the, like, why hasn't he noticed me? Like, he hasn't made contacting me like eye contact with me at all hasn't looked at me and he just starts small talking right and uh i think it's just uh the character of anthony or adam whoever it is i think it is one person he's just so embedded into being this other person at this moment he has to act like she doesn't exist to him yeah, yeah I, I tend to agree and and just to kind of like preface that scene the reason she goes and meets adam is because she pulls that note that anthony yeah. wrote out of his pocket and i think if I think the film does a good job. It doesn't lay it on too thick, but it shows Adam's handwriting a lot. Yeah. And so then when you open up, when she opens up that note, it's the same handwriting. That's yeah. again, why I think this kind of film lends itself to being two people. I mean, two personas one, in one, one body. Person. Yeah. Like they still write the same. Mm-hmm. That's a, like a little thing I picked up on. That is interesting. And I do like um, Jake Gyllenhaal's acting there. I feel like it's so hard to see someone that you know, like to act aloof. That right, is right. one of the most difficult things that you could possibly get because you can either look completely, you'll either look like you're kind of side eyeing them like, oh, you know, I'm about to do something or just look really stoic, like really stonewall and, and awkward. Mm. And he has such a 
a calm sense of aloofness. Um, yeah. It's with, like Helen has this, like, it seems like she's having, like, an internal crisis at that point. She's like, yeah. how does this guy not recognize me? Yeah. And and uh, Adam is just like, well, he's, like, joyful. He's like, you never know how your day will go. Yeah. And it's, it, yeah. it is. It's 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 a interesting way to, like, take that scene where it's like, yeah, you... Like you said, it's it's hard to act aloof. He's not even really acting aloof. He's just completely unaware. Yeah. yeah. What a goofy on small talk phrase that I honestly think he probably made up on the spot. Probably. Because it's so dumb. Yeah. I mean, know? there's an like, interview with him uh, that I watched after watching this, and he talks about he's like uh, the difficulty and also like fun parts of playing two different characters in one movie. Mm. He's like, I think inside of us we all have different people, and we act differently towards everybody. He's like, so if I get to do that two different ways in one movie he's like he thought it was pretty cool and challenging i think that's for sure true like i yeah. have my work persona oh absolutely i have my, I have yeah. my podcast persona i have yeah. my you know, when i hang out my family persona like i i think yeah i mean i'm all the same person but everyone like carries different attributes depending on the context yeah and to be able to put that on screen and just uh, and he does execute it very well especially in that scene just like body like his posture his body language everything about him in that scene i think is just very different than the way he acts in almost the rest of the movie yeah yeah Yeah. it is it's almost sometimes like like a combination of the idiosyncrasies of anthony and adam yeah because he's not really slouchy um like he normally is he has like a a calm sense of confidence yeah he's not all skittishy and stuff yeah i I think but he's not like brash and overbearing like how anthony yeah that is such a good way to put it he's not stammering either i remember right yeah no so that might be like his most natural state of being yeah his most in that moment yeah Yeah. Ooh. wow that is such a wow so i mean i do think having these conversations adam and anthony like represent the two worst possibilities of like his personality mm-hmm. that's yeah no i like that too yeah. that's a really good point but yeah i just uh another part of that scene that i i think kind of again lends itself to it being two different personas in one body is um adam gets up and leaves he goes back into his into his lecture hall and helen calls anthony and it's not till Adam is off screen. Till right when he turns the corner. And then and then that's when Anthony answers the phone. And so it's like he can't he can't be he can't be the two people at once. You know, he he can't be Anthony until he's done being Adam, and he's not ready to be Anthony until he's off screen done being Adam. And so I think that like that's why that's that why room must have been a bathroom right when he walked in. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you're like, wow, I gotta pee. And then, yeah. and then he just answered the phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's that's just another reason why I think uh, I, that's why I view this film that way. Yeah, and then and then finally we have uh, Anthony and Adam meeting in the same hotel hotel room where he brings his mistresses two twenty one. Oh, you said interesting. I didn't see a number. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, so you see either. it the first time when uh, when Adam enters the hotel room, and then you see across the hall when he goes there with Mary. It says two twenty. Ooh. Holy heck, all right. Look at you picking up on stuff. Oh I my wonder, God, I didn't see that at all. I wonder if there's more of those. Like with the um, with the uh, strip show and with the apartment numbers. Yeah. I wonder if those are similar too. Yeah, like when Adam gets taken up into Anthony's apartment. Yeah, because yeah, I wonder what that. Oh man, now now I gotta watch the whole movie again. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna we're Cheat. gonna we're gonna turn off the podcast now. We're gonna watch it again, and then two. we'll come back. Yeah, no, for this film, I don't think two times is enough. But no, you're I right. only I only gave it two times. So. Yeah, I I feel so underprepared now. So we're at Anthony and Adams. They're meeting now. Mm-hmm. And I think this is it's so interesting. Yeah. There's obviously uh, doppelganger um, 
myths and stories in all sorts of cultures everywhere. And so that's what you have here is it's clearly not a twin. It's not something, a clone even. It's this weird projection of oneself into a physical space it's it's basically like looking at a living mirror with the same scars which i think is really interesting when you think about how we've already established eve as uh a motif and now you have adam with a scar on his his ribs ribs. yeah holy heck yeah i don't think it means more than that i think it's just fun imagery but uh you ready for my first fun fact oh i'm ready so when adam is driving to meet up with anthony there's a sign on a billboard and it says like today and it has the date uh the date if you look back it's uh, it's in like 2013 it's a friday but anthony tells adam that they're going to meet on a sunday so <laughs> it's just it's just a fun little goof that occurs it, it's just they just happen uh, to have it on uh, screen yeah but they're meeting on a sunday but in actuality they filmed on a friday <laughs> so it's, it's just a fun little thing. A weird continuity yeah. error yeah yeah <laughs> very very minuscule doesn't matter but that's a fun fact there it's funny that's interesting so i mean what obviously this is supposed to be like a pivotal point in the film but it doesn't really feel like that to me it's almost it's because i think i think the way audiences are set up to reach a climax like this is it turns to like a, a some kind of physical alter, altercation probably yeah or, or some kind of huh. it's like a at least some kind of power struggle would be represented more on screen like an argument or something something would happen but it's sort of like adam just kind of he's like i made a mistake i have to go well, and I think I, he starts I think to he, like look at himself he's like can't handle this right now god damn yeah this is not a good time to do this but i oh, think just it. the way a, a conventional film would have done that is that this is like this is like a a, a climax of of, yeah. of two personas meeting each other and now they have to have so it you out. watch the trailer and then you see the scene this is what you're, and you're expecting something yeah. like that for sure yeah and i think that's really because so i think adam is the is uh is the persona i think it's the it is the conscious self um, I think Anthony is the shadow self. And you know, I love the way that you just said that, Jaden, about how uh, you know, being confronted with his shadow self. Although, no, I can't handle this. I, I got to get up. There's like, Nothing's actually happened. It's just the fact that he's being confronted with something. Yeah. He doesn't Look at my hands. See. Look at my hands. Like that That right there, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. while he's while Adams are trembling. Yeah, he just comes like, in there very aggressive. And yeah, I think this is a good part especially to talk about like the idiosyncrasies within the characters like uh, oh yeah anthony puts his hands out there really steady and then adam's hands are quivering and shaking you can see the whole time like uh, adam's slouched he has his hands in his pockets he's like he's in a very kind of submissive position anthony's walking in with like his hands crossed and he's his arms crossed and he's got his head up and he's the one kind of dominating controlling the room there and i think you can really tell the difference between these personas in that scene and that's why I think that scene is important. I think it's to more establish the difference between these characters rather than a confrontation between the characters, yeah. which I, I think a lot of people would expect like, okay, this is where they have it out. They have the big argument and they try to, it's, this is the power struggle to see which persona is going to be dominant. Yeah. And that doesn't happen in the scene. I think it's more to establish what the difference is between these two characters. Yeah. And to, to imply that the to the uh, idea of there being an enemy that Anthony is an antagonist in some way that Adam is hasn't done anything as far as we're concerned about Adam Adam is a, a good person he's done right. nothing wrong as far as that character is concerned so he is a good guy he's a protagonist and uh, he feels bad about trying to track down Anthony 
Yeah, like which yeah. is weird. Like why he's like, he's I very that, he's that, very Canadian in that sense. Yeah. Like oh, I'm so sorry that I'm 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 I'm, I'm you know impressing upon you. Yeah, I think that lends to what Jaden said, where it's like it's that confrontation. Like he's he's nervous or he doesn't want to be confronted by himself in a way. Like it, I think that is why it's like it takes so long. I mean, he goes through so many. He he looks up so many movies. He spends so much time researching Anthony. And I think it's because he's trying to slowly build to this point where he essentially is confronting himself. Yep. And when it finally happens, it's like it's this like really awkward scene with them. Like, I think Jane's absolutely right. It's 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 a tough confrontation for Adam to go against Anthony. Yeah, I think he becomes fearful and he's just like, I got to bail out on this. Can't do exactly. It right now. Yeah, which I think like uh, it's just like there's like certain scenes in this like where it kind of reminds me of the movie Fight Club because it's Brad Pitt is Edward Norton, mm-hmm. and uh, this scene like. So I'm really happy that it's not confrontational because then I felt like it would have been just like a plug and play of like someone with two personalities again. And that's why I like it was like, it's more, I think it's more realistic that it's just like an emotional, like not physical contact at all. Like scene. Right. Like, right. He's just scared and he has to go. Yeah. Think, and it's like uh, how real mind relations that's what I'm work. Saying, yeah. Yeah. Like we, 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 there's not like this literal <coughs> constant struggle within ourselves. Like, like so many times is depicted in film. A lot of times, especially when it concerns our shadows, we don't address them. That's the whole reason that they're shadows. They, they grow into That's things. That's a really that good are, way to put it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they, they grow into bigger things that, that are become problems because we ignore them because we don't want to deal with them. And the fact that he continues to do that, even when he's presented with the chance to finally start to unravel himself, he ignores it. Which is, if you look at it from the perspective of Adam being like the, the actual persona and Anthony being the shadow, he does ignore it. He leaves and Anthony becomes a much bigger problem later. Yeah. So you're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And that's actually leading right into the next confrontation, the yeah. next meeting where Anthony follows Mary around. Yeah. I actually, I have one more thing to say, and this is like a real nitpick. I don't understand if you're going to have these two characters together, it should take place, take place in a giant master bathroom. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it should. They should both be pooping in stalls. <laughs> Oh no! You okay. took my battleship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's a continuity yeah. error. They've already established the bathroom as portals. They should only be able to meet in a bathroom. Yeah, or that like they they can only meet in a hotel room that has two bathrooms, and yeah. they'll yeah, come a, out of like they're just yelling at each other from across the room. <laughs> Suddenly, yeah. they're in the the meeting space between bathrooms. Right? <laughs> Did you fuck my wife? I don't actually think yeah. that. I, just, I know, this is funny. We're establishing the bathrooms as, yeah. a, as a significant part. They should only be able to talk to each other <laughs> in a bathroom. That should be it. And so then following um, Adam after he leaves, he uh, Anthony starts to follow um, Adam around, and that's when he finds Mary and decides to stalk her. And I think this is where we start to get a better idea of how sinister... Um, Anthony is and what his attitude towards women is and how it's also reflect it's meant to be a reflection of Adam as well exactly, his yeah. his idea of what women are because uh I think I mean you were telling me something earlier Jaden about uh about the shoes yeah so uh at this point Anthony is stalking Mary like a predator I mean, he's yeah. even got the the visor over and stuff so he can't be seen on the motorcycle. I love that shot of him on the motorcycle yeah. it's yeah. like one of the very like it's very this stylized shot. Yeah, it's just it's so it's like you said it's very sinister. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, so yeah, he's he's stalking her, and then yeah, he looks right at her high heel, which I believe to be a pair of Helen shoes. Is what I think. 
Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. Well, that's a hot take. I yeah. had never thought about it that way. Yep, that is what that is what I think about that. But yeah, because he notices uh, uh, Adam looks at Helen Chu in her closet uh, later in the film. He picks it up the high heel and looks at it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that right there is... I think what's so interesting is that all three of um, the female characters other than the mother are all defined by their shoes, by Adam or Anthony. Right. The prostitute or the stripper has stilettos. Um, We look at Mary's stilettos. We find Helen's stilettos in the closet. Yep. So no matter which woman he's looking at, he's looking at their sexual appeal. Cause I think that's what the shoes represent. Yeah. It's, and we'll talk, I'll get, no, I, I tend to agree to like, with that yeah. though. Yeah. I think that's a good way of, of interpreting that. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's why I say that. But I mean, there's so much said in that it's more of a feeling with that whole scene. I don't know if there's a lot more to talk about, but it's very important to see the, the shoes. I like to think of that scene as, you know, he talks about history repeating itself. And I think that's it's no matter which persona you view as the real one, it's still they're both going to fall into this pattern of, of this infidelity, this lust that they have for other women. Mm. And so even though, you know, a- Adam is the one who's dating Mary, but then now Anthony has like lust for her. He's following her and he's looking at the shoes and he's become interested in her. And, and you f- see later in the film, like he wants to pursue her. And then you see uh, Adam later on, he starts to pursue Helen. So I just think it's like, no matter what, it's just this, like this recursive, it's this recurring theme of them just like pursuing whatever woman they can. And that's kind of how I saw it. It's just like, it's, it's like, you can't really view either of them as the good guy to me because they're both doing these wrong things, whether it revolves around Mary or not. It's like, they just continue to kind of fall into their, like they succumb to this like lustful need either way. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's like Adam's the one being unfaithful, I guess. But then Anthony also becomes like he's pursuing Mary. So he's unfaithful as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, so I don't know if there's much more to say about that. But then we get to like a real crux for the whole film when Adam finally meets up with his mother. Yep. I think this 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 scene is, I, I, I feel like this this has so many different interpretations i feel like it's been a bit of a uh, point of consternation for you connor i i have so many i I struggle with this part so much because of the way the beginning of the movie is set up where he gets that voicemail from his mom and then he has this now this conversation with his mom and they they seem to oppose each other in every way so um at the very beginning of the film he gets the voicemail and his mom's saying she's like Oh, thanks for giving me the tour of your new apartment. I don't know how you can live that way. I'm worried about you. And that to me would lend itself to being Adam is the real persona because the mom knows who he is. And so Adam must be real. But then when Adam is meeting with his mother, he is offered blueberries. He's told, uh, you know, he has a nice apartment. He has a nice job. Um, and those are all things that lend lend themselves to being Anthony. Is well, we the don't real even persona. know what Anthony does as a job. I guess I that's true. Yeah, I just, I just, I struggle with those two those two bits put together because I think, uh, to me, the the mom is supposed to be this like one bit of continuity in it. But even she is like not a, a, a someone you can look at as a uh, like a, kind of a reputable source for this film, because I I don't even know who she's talking to, or or which Adam or which Anthony is real. 
And so I, I, I have two theories where it's like either Anthony is the real one in that scene or Adam is the real one in that scene. And it's I struggle with that that part of this film so much because I want to cling to the mom is this like this this uh, keystone of like what is supposed to make sense in this. And she contradicts herself in two different scenes in this movie. And it's I struggle with it so much. It has completely changed the way I watch this film every time I watch it. <laughs> So, I mean, the one thing that, like, she says to him, uh, you have a nice job, you have to you just quit trying to be a third-rate actor. I think his nice job is that he's a history professor. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I do think that, too. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's what that is. And uh, I don't know. Like, I think that Anthony might be, like, the real name of the character. That's This is, like, the part that gets me confused. Yeah, is uh, I, I I don't recall his mom ever mentioning. She doesn't name. say his name because yeah. I went back and I looked for yeah. it. I was specifically trying to see if she said a name or not because then that would really be like the linchpin to tell you who's, who's doing. Yeah, this. I don't like, think so. I I think the same thing. Like she's saying two different things in two different places. Yeah. So, yeah. but so this this is a very important scene and it. The way I've interpreted it is that if everybody is representational and they are all personified mental states of Adam, then all of the women, um, specifically Mary, Helen, and the stripper, are states of his anima. Um, And his mom is either an archetype of an old, uh, old wise woman or it's a literal personification of memories of his mother. And the reason I say this is because so Jung uh, says has this to say about mothers. If a man feels that his mother had a negative influence on him, his anima will often express itself in irritable, depressed moods, uncertainty, insecurity, and touchiness. The negative mother anima figure will endlessly repeat the theme: nothing makes any sense. And it's interesting to see how Ellen, how Helen, represented as a pregnant woman with all of those traits. And so for this reason, I think that his mother is probably meant to be an old wise woman and not an anima expression. So giving him psychic clues of what he needs to do for individuation, or she's a literal personification of his real mother, someone who only knows part of him, someone who tells him he likes food that he does not, who denies his ambitions of acting. And that the problems with his mother are what are creating all of the problems with his view of women and why all of his anima are manifesting differently. So you're right when you said he set me straight. I'm starting to come around to the idea that this is, none of this is literal. This is all, there's an interview with Denis Villeneuve I watched where he he talks about, he's like, this this movie is meant to to play with you. It's meant to play with your idea of, of your subconscious. And he's like, I hope you come to this movie with, the intent of wanting to play too. And so to me, it kind of lends itself to like your involvement with the film should uh, influence how you interpret it. And, uh, and I, I'm starting to kind of come around to that thought because I, I can't come to like any kind of confluence with the theories I have on this film. I can't reconcile any of them if any of it is literal because there's too many contradictories to it, which to me would kind of speak to our subconscious like there we do we contradict ourselves all the time we mm-hmm. we recreate ourselves in our minds we have different ideas of who we are at different times and that actually makes a lot more sense if you look at it in the context of this film so I'm, you're right I, I am tending to come around to that because because yeah I just I, I have a really hard time 
wrapping my head around my own theories because I am taking it too literal. This is this is where I, I started. So I started with the idea uh, from that one line about memory being a feminine quality. And so that's what led me down the Jungian drain. And then this is what confirmed my suspicion is the anima. I need to download a, one of the little sound pad things to whenever you do the Jungian train, I can do a little choo choo. That should be, <laughs> we got to have, we got to have that on here. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That, um, I, I just, I just love, I love all of it. Like I think, I think most of his, his psychology is actually bullshit, but it's yeah. great as, um, as in, interpretive symbols for the purpose of art. And especially in this case where the, so the anima being a personification, all feminine psychological tendencies, right? So that would mean if this entire thing is representative, that all of the women are his anima. And what is great is that Jung actually thinks that there are four different levels of anima personification or expression, and he gave them all names. So level four, or the highest is Sophia or Sapientia. I'm not sure how to say that, but it basically means it's the the goddess of uh, of wisdom. Um, but is uh, but it's not here because it's unattainable. Most most people don't ever get to it. Most men, obviously, in this case. Um, and his inner turmoil is so uh, is is at such a high level that he's never going to get there. But then level three, you have Mary, who is represented as the Virgin Mary. She raises love to the heights of spiritual devotion, and in and in the end, like she's the she's the only one that is upset about cheating. Helen knows that it's not Anthony. Adam knows that uh, he's masquerading as something else, someone else, and Anthony is masquerading as someone else. They're all comfortable cheating on on each other, but not Mary. And then level two is Helen, and she is personified. She's taken from the Greek myth uh, of uh, Helen of Troy, um, from the Trojan. Then she's what began the Trojan War, obviously. Um, so she was described as being romantic and aesthetic, but still characterized by sexual elements. So insecure about Anthony cheating again and has sex with Adam, knowing that he isn't her husband, very touchy and feeling. So still all of these sexual elements and then level one, the most base one. So I did it backwards because I wanted to get, uh, Sophia out of the way because it's not here. It's not like a big reveal. But level one being represented as Eve, which we've already seen that there is um, that clear um, visual element at the beginning with the stripper. And Eve rep represents purely instinctual and biological relations. The most frequent manifestation of the anima takes the form of erotic fantasy. And this is why the shoes are so important because it, no matter what form the anima takes, Adam only sees them for their erotic, for their erotic qualities, for their sexual qualities. Their shoes are still something that defines them. So I have a thought on the shoes, um, and you equate them to kind of like the sexuality of the woman wearing them, or or the, maybe the sexual value, or uh, something like that. I noticed that the the stripper at the very beginning, she has like these giant stilettos on, like huge. Mm. And then Anthony is uh, following Mary, and she has high heels on too, and they're very like stylish, like kind of like a like a like I don't know, print or yeah, like, like snakeskin yeah. or something like that, or like I don't know, they they're very fashionable. And then he gets to Adam goes into Anthony's apartment, and he's going through Helen's shoes, and she is he pulls out a smaller stiletto, like a smaller high heel, 
And so I wonder if they, maybe that's kind of the, like you said, it's like grading the kind of sexuality of each character. And it's like you have the big stiletto on the stripper and it gets a little bit smaller for Mary and then it gets even smaller for um, Helen. For Helen. Um, so the only problem is in, it, it's kind of, it was kind of frustrating to me for a little while because it did feel like Helen should be at a higher level. Um, but not the way she's actually represented with when you, when you, when you equate her as being slightly sexual still and okay with cheating, then she's, it makes sense that she's at level two. So it's, it's Eve at the bottom. It's Helen above that. And then it's Mary above that even. So the, they would be flip flop there and it doesn't, I guess it just, to to me, I, I think that's kind of a good way to symbolize him equating them at different levels. You know what I mean? I, I could see that. But yeah, I think that I think the shoes are just meant to that he still sees them for their sexual qualities. And yeah, that's where he finds their values in their sexuality, not in their like person who they are. Yeah. Okay. No, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I, I just, still think uh, you like might yeah. be right. It's like he finds uh, the stripper the most sexual. And that's why she's in the biggest shoes. And, yeah. And no, then Mary like, yeah, then breaks down that level. Yeah. It kind of digresses. From yeah. That. Yeah. Which I think is why he's cheating and going to strip clubs. Yeah, no, you're yeah. probably right. So I think now we're kind of moving into sort of the conclusion of the film where, like I said, a- Adam is now in Anthony's apartment. Anthony is out on the date with Mary. And uh, it's kind of, I think it's, I talked about how I measured kind of on-screen time. This is one of those times where I didn't measure it because this this whole kind of sequence is kind of intercut for a little bit. And then you reach the car crash where, uh, to me, it's kind of like that's the end of Anthony's character. I like to think of because that's one thing that I think is like metaphorical. I don't think that actually happened. No, he's just caught in his web. And I think it's it's lies. also uh, later on. Uh, there's a radio station talking about how like one of the highways is shut down because of a car crash that happened later that night, and then he turns off the radio. So I think there's like some ambiguity to that scene. It doesn't really say that who died in it, you know. And so that's why I think that's up to interpretation. Um, and then, yeah, so if we just kind of want to close out, like, our, our thoughts on the ending, I guess. Um, well, I think it's really important, um, as you were talking about Adam going through the apartment, all of the things that he sees in there. Like, did you notice the photo? Yeah, it's the uh, when he's looking up. Uh, it's it, pictures of himself and it, holding it next to the movie. Yeah, is it Daniel St. Clair? Is that his? That's his actor's name. That's yeah. the actor name. Yeah. And I like that he... I think it's funny that that that's his photo though. Yeah, that's Adam's photo, right? Which is torn, and then you see the whole photo here in right. the yep. in the apartment. So this is where for a while I was like, maybe this is all. This is like time, you know. It is just one person, and it's literal, and we're looking at things out of order in terms of I think that temporal sense. But I don't. I've think, had I've had yeah. thoughts like that too. As like maybe this story is being told two different timelines that are just they're not really coinciding with each other. They're just being told alongside one another. I, I haven't grasped this movie enough to come up with a solid theory on that, but I think it's possible that because I talked about the mother, how at the beginning she's talking about, Oh, Adam, you live in this crappy apartment now. She doesn't mm-hmm. say it by name, but she says he lives in a bad apartment. Mm-hmm. And then later in the movie, she says, you live in a good apartment. You have a good job. So I wonder maybe there's some kind of like, it, it, there's different timelines going on. Like maybe he's, he was living with Helen, cheated, and yeah, he got the key to the strip club. And that's that's yeah. that part of the movie ends, and now he's living as Adam. Where now he's moved into a crappy department after like a divorce or something. 
So I wonder if maybe that plays a role in it. I, I don't have enough, again, I don't have enough of a grasp on what's going on yeah. in this film to like have a full theory on that. But I wonder if maybe that might play a role as well. So the other thing I'll say is, so I mentioned how the true self is his colleague um, in the teacher's lounge. And I think of the, the, the true self giving him breadcrumbs on his path to individuation. This is how he finds his shadow self. And I think this is really a poignant um, phrase that Jung has, has here. The self, however, does not always take the form of a wise old man or wise old woman. These paradoxical these paradoxical personifications are attempts to express something that is not entirely contained in time, something simultaneously young and old. And I think that that says everything you need to know about the interpretation of time here is that everything is happening at the same time because it's all within the same space where yeah. time is not necessarily a real construct. That's yeah. a very poetic and poignant way to put it. I think yeah. that I think and that fits into kind of the the tone of this film perfectly. That's mm-hmm. a really good way to look at it, which is, again, that's why I love having you on. Yeah, I would have never why, thought of that. That's why I love lifting everything off of Carl Jung. <laughs> <laughs> you could just take cred, man. <laughs> um, so there's one scene I want to talk about before. Uh, it's like before he goes to the apartment, uh, before Anthony goes to Adam's apartment, he's like yelling at himself in the mirror and playing out the dialogue that he's about to go through with Adam. I'm just like, I'm a little confused as why he would do that. But at the same time, like, is he just building himself up to interact with himself? Mm-hmm. And what the fuck does that mean? I just love that. Yeah, that's just like how crazy the the shadow self is. It's like him talking into a mirror, which is funny to think about uh, the shadow confronting his own shadow. Yeah. But Are you talking about the part where he's like, did you fuck my wife? Yeah. He's like pretending to it. I, yeah. I, 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 I really love that scene because it's it really plays up like this actor side of him. Yep. Uh, because at the end of it, he's like, he like slaps the counter. Yeah. He's like, that's good. Yeah. That's good. It's it's almost like it's not even, he doesn't, yeah, he has these lustful thoughts and he wants to be with Mary yeah. kind of just for the sake of it. But yeah, it's almost he, like he, he's like getting off on himself. Like, yeah. He's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good actor. Like, so like, this is like, like thing. he's hyped on himself in that scene. Yeah. Like, uh, so the predator, like the kind of predator persona he uh, put on when he was stalking Mary. So like, I think this is like, he stalked Mary, he stalked his prey, now he's like practicing his attack necessarily of how he's going to get his prey and he's going to execute it. No, I yeah, no yeah. I think that's a good way to put it for sure. Yeah. I I I I forgot about that scene. It's just another it's so much fun watching an actor act like he's acting and then the meta, the meta <laughs> right? of like of how he's getting off and like, oh yeah, that's good. But it's like another layer of like, oh yeah, yeah. that's good. That, that That's good. Like Jake, <laughs> like Jake Gyllenhaal himself left that scene being like, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like immediately after like, that was just him. Like, like nailed it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He actually just submitted that off of his phone. He was just like, I was just in my bathroom the other night and I got some gold. He's like, I was in the portal. <laughs> The I'll portal potty. Yeah that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's how we'll just refer to bathroom breaks from now, like portal time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, again, breaking up how I did the, the times to this. So, after the car crash happens, one oh, if you have something else. One other thing I did want to know, point out is I paused when uh, he's looking at the photo on the, on the uh, bookshelf. There's books there. And only one of them really caught my eye at first, but it was a uh, time lived in reverse. I saw that. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't see it. I actually read it in an article later Yeah, because, because again, uh, this movie is so dense and I was like, someone else needs to help me with this. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I read up and it was mostly stuff from like the, uh, 
the director or, or actors involved. It wasn't like uh, I wasn't like listening to other reviews because I want to give my organic thoughts on yeah. on these films. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I I'd seen a thing about that as well. Yeah, and I think it just it's it's it reinforces the line at the beginning that chaos is order yet undeciphered. Just you know, another layer. I don't. I I still think that Jung has. Uh, I think that Jung's expression of what's going on here is more is more true. It works better um, than trying to figure out if these are chrono- chronological or not. Because um, it's not even like they're just so weird that like you can't even get into bootstrapping paradoxes in terms of time travel or something like that. Right. Because they just don't. They don't make sense. Yeah. So. Uh yeah so. The car crash happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and to me, that's that's like the killing of one persona to me. It's 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 this one's going to be gone now. But then I think at the end of the movie, it's kind of wraps back around to this repetition of history that yep. he always has. So it doesn't matter what... It, to me, it doesn't matter which persona you think is real. They're intertwined together, and one will inevitably lead into the other. Yeah. And you, it's this cycle that he can't stop. Yeah, he's spinning his own web, and then like I think the car crash is representation of him being caught in it. Speaking of web, Whoa. this is another fun fact, real quick. Did you guys notice when Adam is watching the uh, the film that Anthony is in? Yeah. Uh, I think it's maybe maybe it's a dream sequence he's having because he wakes up immediately after. There's one guy in it. He has a tie with a big spider web on it. Really? I did not notice that. Oh, yeah, I didn't notice that. I saw it. He's got a big red tie with a white spider web on it. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Just when the car accident happens, the window breaks and it looks exactly like a spider web. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's a good point, too. But I think what what I love about it is how Adam acts after Anthony dies. And I think of the same thing in The Lighthouse when, um, Wake gets killed then finally you have this it's like he's taken back up into Winslow's character and suddenly they're one and the same and you see that they were always the same it's the same idea here as how his shadow self is so destructive ended up getting himself killed um, but still is embodied in this single person and because he doesn't stammer when he's uh, you know talking to Helen like I, I think I might have to go out and I think it's really interesting too I mean we've talked before about keys being uh, a Jungian uh, right, right. metaphor for penises I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure first time listeners like that's like you think that's a joke but everything is a dick yeah. <laughs> the spider legs all dicks <laughs> that's that's not that that's not quite right <laughs> but yeah I mean anything like that I mean, it's especially true in in this because that key is for the the strip show. It's it's literally represented as the 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 key to get to sexual fantasies. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's it's literally unlocking his like the sexuality he wants to have. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. literally what it is. Yeah, and then this brings us to the probably why I would assume most people hate this movie or love it, the end scene. I want to know what Jaden thought of this when uh, he gets the key and he's going to go see Helen and he walks into the bedroom. What did you think of this? Um, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what I thought instantly. I was like, well, this is weird. And then in credits rolled and I was like, well, I guess it's well, over. I guess it's over. And then that's literally what I thought. So I yeah. had very, I mean, I was confused. The whole spider thing really didn't click to me until like we probably started discussing it tonight. Um, about him, like maybe I just kind of think of him a representation of him spinning his own web, mm. and then um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I really still don't know why the spider was in there at the end. Yeah, so uh, that gets described as like every review is like, oh, I was so scared at the end. There's a scary. No, scene. I wasn't scared at all. Which yeah. is which yeah. is odd to me because it's it's it, it's a jump scare in a way because you're just not expecting it, but it's not like a jump scare and like you're the way horror movies are now. Yeah. So I get that it scared people. I mean, it shocked me when I saw it because it's like he walks in the room and and now Helen is represented as this giant tarantula like cowering in the corner. Yeah. And it is. It, it's a uh, that must have been where all the budget like Jake Gyllenhaal probably was like, oh no, like take money out of my paycheck, you know, yeah. let's put it into the, some VFX shot because that's like probably the i mean it's got to be the the biggest vfx shot of the movie i would say yeah. even more than like the big big spider over toronto i think uh mm-hmm. which again we're going to get into the spider stuff here in a minute uh but yeah i think i think that scene really kind of uh, to me embodies kind of how he views women and like his struggle to control his lust and everything like that and mm-hmm. so i i i i always think it's odd when people think it's a scary scene because the scary part of it like a tranche is supposed to be this scary thing to you and it's cowering in the corner. Yeah. So I always get confused why people think it's scary because I don't think it is at all. People are scared of spiders. Yeah. It's very <laughs> yeah. uncomfortable, but yeah. yeah, I don't think it's scary whatsoever. I love. Uh, I think this is just a really good bit of acting by Jake Gyllenhaal at the end of it because then then the camera turns to him and and the look on his face isn't like, it's almost like he's. It's like an internal battle with himself. He's like, ah, I'm doing this again. It's like the mm-hmm. that's that's the kind of feel I get from that, and it's it's a really good bit of acting to just kind of convey that to emote that with like, there's nothing else going on. It's just him being like, it's almost like a, here we go again type thing. And, and that's the kind of recursive nature of this. Yeah. film. That's, that's, that's what I took away from that end scene. Calvin, do you have anything to add to that? So much. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So, so I, I was frustrated by the, um, after I watched it a second time, I didn't really get it. Um, but I think that the best thing is like with, respect to symbol interpretation you need to first establish what type of symbol has been created is it a positive or a negative one how does it interact with the characters with the environment can we assign gender stereotypes to it you know that sort of thing so like to determine what spiders could mean we have to examine how spiders are treated in the film and then compare that to a spider's attributes you know whether that's physically or how it's treated in in mythic traditions and so in this case we have a spider with negative connotations spiders are associated with women suggesting feminine qualities and web making is something alluded to with all of the crazy drawings on the chalkboard and i i guess i didn't really include um the um like you were saying the uh windshield yeah uh, and the dude uh his uh his tie, tie. Yeah. yeah so this web web making is everywhere you see there's it's... another uh a scene where they, they show like a i think it's like a trolley or something mm-hmm. it's all the wires crossing like the it's the camera pans up and there's all these wires crossing each other Ooh. that's another kind of spider web symbol yeah so i i i love that i think that's 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 all there so 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 normally like the we have so we have all of these bad things um with spiders but so normally positive ones we can admire the calm nature of spiders waiting for prey in a web you know they're patient they're diligent they are persistent they always build webs back that come so none of that is really present but this one way you need to cross off what it isn't in your list of figuring out what it means and then as far as negatives you know Spiders are are dangerous. Um, we're afraid of them. They're they're maliciously waiting for uh, prey to fall into a trap, and I think that that's that's more likely what's happening here. And then when you look at mythic traditions, you have 
you know, treating like in Greek mythology, the idea of uh, Arachne was a uh, a woman who whose hubris as a weaver cha- uh, forced her to challenge the gods, and they turned her into a spider for her hubris. What a dumb thing to have hubris over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, silly thing. We have to we have to think <laughs> how were spiders made in the first place? Yeah. Like dumb women, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so silly. And then you have uh, other other spiders like in um you have Anansi in African folktales where you have the idea of a male spider trickster. So all of that is really interesting, but I think when you look at the totality of what we have going on here in terms of Jung we should see what he's saying here because if i i don't think you bring i think if you bring in something from another one of these things it doesn't it's going to be a little bit more complicated uh to make everything work together and jung this is the idea of what the shadow of of what spiders repre- represent spiders represent the shadow they're the least desirable and unconscious aspects of one's personality so that's mm-hmm. why the beginning scene makes so much sense is because you have the anima represented as the stiletto and the shadow self in conflict about to be crushed because the shadow and the anima they can't even get along on a personal level right and then you have at the end the anima and then i love this the the idea of the anima as a guide to the inner world and has a positive function when the man takes seriously the feelings and moods of his anima so when he works to understand other deeper unconscious material comes into focus and connects with the earlier material so in that case helen walking into the room is then showing him "Mm, this is your shadow he you think he died and he's no longer your problem it's still here because right. and that's and that's what I think spiders represent in all this. And that's why I think it's just like it's so fascinating as far as uh, Jung is concerned. Right. Uh, I'll get into my spider theory. I, I think it's basically just kind of because the spiders are not really there at the very beginning is the one mm-hmm. and then it they kind of don't show up. And then you have the big one over Toronto. And that's kind of to me is like this build up in the movie where it's kind of Uh, Anthony and Adam are kind of coming to a head and they're both kind of having this conflict with lust. And so I think that's basically, it's just kind of this symbol of this kind of overarching feeling that's kind of hanging over them ever present in their lives now. And what better way to represent that than a gigantic spider looming over the city that they both live in. Like this is a conflict that is ever present in their lives. And then at the very end, you sort of think Adam has turned a corner and he's going to start being faithful and then he gets the key, and he, he's like, oh, hey, Helen, do you have anything going on tonight? I think I have to go out. And he, so now he's succumbed to that lust again, which, again, is this, this history repeating itself. And the first time at the very beginning of the movie when he's succumbing to this lust and he's in this club, it's a tragedy. And at the very end of the film, when he's decided to succumb to it again, it's a farce. Mm. which is what's mentioned earlier in his lecture. Yep. And I think it's just so poetic how it's played out in that in, in the beginning and the end of this film. Yeah, I mean, just more like literal kind of way I say that. Maybe not necessarily literal, but just like him spinning his own web of destruction. Like everything that he is like, he ends up getting caught into everything that he's making himself. Mm. So the spider is a representation of himself and the webs are necessarily a representation of the bad decisions that he's making and he's getting himself caught up into. Yeah, yeah, I do love that. Like he's he's so wrapped up in all these things. There's no way out of it. It's yeah. only it's only going to end badly. Yep. Yeah. No, I I I 
totally think that that's yeah. that's, that's I think these are all viable. Oh no, no, yeah, yeah, the way you tied in with the speech though made me very happy. I like that a Dude, lot. Yeah, I've been saving that one. <laughs> <laughs> I had it like written down, highlighted. Yeah, that was good. I had it all in my notes. I was ready for it. You, you said that. I was like, oh, yep, that, yep, right on my head there, dude. <laughs> um, so do we want to get into like, I guess, just our maybe, because uh, I still have some theories about it. I, I think maybe oh, you guys yeah, already... more. I've given up pretty much all of my, I, all of my theories based on what I, what I see. This is, I, I guess one other thing I'll mention um, is Sigmund Freud uh, uh, writes about spiders and dreams as being a symbol of the mother, but of the phallic mother of whom we are afraid so that the fear of spiders expresses dread of mother incest and horror of the female genitals. And I put that down because I just, I just think it's bullshit. And that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it could be represented here, but I just think it's like so, so dumb. Like spiders mean so many different things in so many different cultures. Yeah. Like, And to think that Denis knew literally took that interpretation, put in the movie is, is a little, I, I, I wouldn't say that it's actually that far out of, out of play. Cause I, think that very he is very aware of Jung the fact that he's called everyone Mary and Helen I think that's incredibly intentional I mean he eats blueberries because his mom makes him yeah exactly I love how he said like yeah they're organic I read somewhere like I know you're just like it's just because he He has so many inspiration he's very upset about his blueberries yeah you you brought the names and why you think they mean things uh I read this um if you kind of take their Adam and uh Anthony's names so it's Anthony Claire and then Adam Bell, like A Bell, if you take his initials. So it's Claire A Bell, like clear as a bell, which would be ironic because these characters, it is not clear as a bell who is who <laughs> and what is happening, which I don't know if was intentional. It was just something I read. I'm assuming it's just someone diving too deep into this movie, but uh, which, yeah. we're, which we're essentially doing. <laughs> but, uh, right. but, but I think that's like a fun little thing. If you, if you take it as like, oh, it's just kind of an ironic nod to it is unclear what is happening in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and so that their names could kind of uh, kind of be a joke or a play on words on that, I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. So I don't really have a whole lot more to add at all. Um, what other interpretations do y'all have? Of like the film in general? I mean, I just, I, I can't think of anything else to say is what I mean. I guess okay. I think that uh, <laughs> I've spoken a lot. So that's probably why. So the, I guess the, to kind of wrap up why I think Adam is the real persona. Um, he's, his mom mentions to him, you know, he's like, you live in this bad apartment. His mom mentions to him that he's been unfaithful. She's like, you can't even keep one woman. Like, you know, what are you mm. doing with yourself? And so I, I thought maybe he created Anthony as like this, this is like his dream of who he actually wants to be. This, this actor and uh, this, this someone who has a, a family life. And then even though he's created this other persona, that other persona still succumbs to the same uh, like lustful needs that Adam had. And so I think, this movie kind of plays with you because it, it, it makes you really dislike Anthony because he's he's really brash and he's abrasive and he's not a very likable character. But I also don't think Adam is a very likable character either. No, I, I don't know. I, I think that Adam is a, a fairly likable character um, in, you know, until you start like I think he's he's a very nice guy. He seems to do uh, more or less good things or at least he's not doing anything wrong until until the end. Um yeah. And that, and then, then there's a little bit more of a moral gray area if you interpret him as being literal. I mean, I think yeah. that, yeah, I, I don't like Adam either. I think he's, I don't think you're supposed to. I just think that, mm. uh, so 
this is just the the persona he actually wants to have is Anthony, but then that Anthony persona is corrupted by like the this this cheating, this lustful need of Adam, and that's what drives Anthony to go and pursue Mary, and then they get in the car crash, and and then Adam takes back over, and then it starts over again where he goes to the club. I have another theory where Anthony is the real persona, and Adam is completely fictional, and these are just kind of these infidelity, these these lustful thoughts are are. Adam are just playing out in his mind. Like none of that is actually real. And eventually Anthony succumbs to that as well. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of the same story, just maybe told from a different perspective. Either yeah. way, it's, it's one character kind of falling into like what you said, the web that the other one has. That's kind of how I look at it. What I really want to talk about is Helen, because I think we all agree that she's just like a really interesting character. And I, I love the scene where, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier where she's like, what's happening? And that's how we feel watching the movie. And then later on when uh, Adam shows up in the apartment and she tells him to come to bed and she asks him like, how was school today? And I think that's supposed to be maybe our interpretation of the film as well. It's like that we need to start accepting that maybe they're the same person, the same way she's yeah. accepting. They're like, okay, I know you're not Anthony, but you're not like not the same person. Yeah. And so it's kind of like that same that's that's kind of how I view the film too. It's like they're not the same; they're two different personas in the same body, and she's starting to accept that as well. And then she, uh, as Adam's uh, Anthony's going through the car crash, she becomes really close with Anthony, and she's like, "I want you to stay." Yeah, like like she wants that persona to stay. Yeah, and then ultimately he doesn't stay because he he gets the key and he he goes off to the club. So. I just I I really like the idea of Helen kind of being the viewer in this film, kind of trying to piece it all together as we're going. Oh my god, a spider is literally falling down <laughs> in front of us. Oh my god, it's a sign. It is. We're we're all inside Jake Gyllenhaal's subconscious right now. <laughs> my god, that is the that is that amazing is, that that's happening right that is, now. And that is the phallic mother right there. Oh uh, um, yeah, well, I had just one night okay. real quick. Uh, so, I mean, I think there's endless amounts of theories that you could take with this. Right. Um, I cannot I believe think, this right now. Yeah. I'm going to move this guy. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I think it might be an interesting take is that neither Adam or Anthony are technically the real self. They both are shadow selves because I think they both represent either side of the absolute negative way you can act. Uh, whereas uh, Anthony is like, like, uh, very, like he's confident and like there's good things about that. But he's very brash, and like he doesn't like he seems to morally care about himself and like his sexual wants more than anything else. Like when he's stalking Mary, like he's looking at her legs, like every individual part of her body, We're not seeing her as like a whole person. I love the shot just on the back of her knees yeah, for a minute. Like, that's so like lustful. Yeah. To him. Like, and then uh, and then Adam is like his fear and his cowardness of like how like he doesn't he's he's not open at all. He's very closed off. He's shaky. Um, he goes to his work. He does his job. So I think like you only see the real the real character like twice in the movie, which is where I think he's sitting on the bench and he gets up and he's confident. And at the end, before he, before he sees the spider. Right. Yeah. It's where he's like not neither, he's neither Anthony nor Adam in those scenes. He's both of them combined. Yeah. No, I like that. I, I definitely think that that's, that's a part of the movie. I hadn't had that theory on before that thought on, I do like this idea of him on the bench. Like that's his actual self. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I actually love both of what you were saying there as, uh, as far as whether, um, Adam is the real person and whether he's uh, a shadow self too, because Jung actually has a, a, a really interesting theory about whether or not um, um, 
you know, even if the mother experience is positive, that can actually have negative uh, anima expressions or in the shadow self. Someone um, where it's been positive, this anima uh, could be expressed differently. The result would be they becomes effeminate, preyed upon by women and thus unable to cope with the hardships of life. Kind of like what you were talking about with Adam not being like he is like. So whether you have like a mother that actually is looking out for him and, you know, that maybe in like the first in like the first scene and he has the positive ex, um, experience with the mother and that manifests and that informs Adam's decision. And then you have the negative um, uh, aspects and that's what creates the schism between the two. And that's how you get Anthony. Right. So it's interesting to think that they are that they are both. Um, you know, uh, shadow selves or expressions of um, negative or negative expressions of um, his persona. And I also like another thing I like to think about too, is if this is an entire mindscape that no, but like this is some dude um, who looks nothing like any of these people and all of his emotions are just represented as um, people in his yeah. mind and they don't and he himself doesn't even look like jake gyllenhaal i yeah i i i just like what denise new said about this film and he was like this movie is here to play with you and he hopes you'll come and want to play too because yep. i think that's exactly what this is and i i don't think any of our opinions are invalid even though calvin is sure he's right yeah. <laughs> um yeah, well, i haven't yeah. really changed my opinion much yeah so you haven't shaken me <laughs> no it's, but but the thing is like i i like i don't think it, whether I look at this movie in Jane's point of view or your point of view, Calvin, I mean, Jung's point of view, you don't, you, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to appeal to authority there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying no matter, no matter which way I look at this film, I enjoy it either way. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't change it. Like I, I don't stop thinking about this movie, which I think is the point of it. This is a real thinker here. And yeah. I think, mm-hmm. I, I think this is one that people need to, yeah. It's like we've said before, if like you're over kind of your conventional film, this is, for me, this was the first one I watched where I was like, oh my God, like I really care about mo- the movies I watch now. That's funny because I was going to finish that sentence. Like, this is not the place to start. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I started and I really liked it. You're doing well then, at yeah. least. Yeah. But yeah, this is this is so deep in terms. I think this is this might be more deep in terms of Jungian psychology and symbol representation than uh, The Lighthouse. Which is incredible because it's an hour and a half long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the lighthouse wasn't that much longer. I don't think it's only like an hour and 50 minutes. Yeah. It's something like that. Yeah. But, but the thing is, is like, that's a lot easier to understand because everything is just about penises. Yeah. Whereas here you have to get into the anima and that is a lot. That's there. There aren't a lot of, um, very obvious, um, mythic, alliter- uh, illusions in our, um, our pop culture, you know, that's, you know, the idea of um, gay conflict within an individual is something that that's, that's represented in media all the time. The idea well, that's of literally the, in another Jake Gyllenhaal movie in Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, exactly. Which is, huge, which is a huge movie. Yeah, exactly. And so and then that's pretty much like that's you can look at that as being the shadow self too there. But this the idea of the feminine um, being existing within uh, a male mind is not something that a lot of mainstream ideas play with the idea. So to pick up on the ideas uh, that are presented here is going to be really difficult unless you, unless you see other signs that, that kind of leads you by the nose of where you, where the director is pulling all of their, um, 
you know, all of their symbols from and, and where they want, what you, they want you to interpret as being literal. Right. And again, uh, I, I think if you just, if you just pay attention, put your phone away while you have the movie on, I think you can glean yeah. a lot from this. I movie. think you can get, I think you can get a lot out of it. I just, for me, like if I were going to rate this, I, I'm going to give it like an 8.7. Out of how many spiders? Oh, spiders. Like 8.7 yeah, spiders? Yeah, spiders. Oh, um, no. <laughs> spiders. <laughs> Just do regular spiders. I, I mean, I don't know. That's not what, what Freud called them. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't I don't agree with that interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd say it's 8.7 because for a few reasons. It doesn't work very well, unlike the lighthouse, um, without knowing all of the things that they're meant to mean like you can you you like if you don't know what the spiders mean at all it's still a really frustrating film you could figure out all of the other stuff and not knowing the spy what any of the spiders means means that the ending just flat doesn't land and it's not a very good movie and i think you know we were talking about the runtime earlier only being 90 minutes i want it to be longer not so it can introduce more ideas, but so that we can not have everything cut up so so much. So, so you can kind of like kind of have a chance to breathe and and yeah. and take in the ideas. Okay, I I I could agree with that. Yeah. When, you, when you were said when you were like make it longer, I was like, no, please God, no. Like, yeah. I, I already can't understand what's happening. Now, so, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. But I get that. If you want to have more time to ponder on what's happening on screen, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, and because there's a lot of great shots and and great visuals, but we don't get right. them that much because there's a lot to get through yeah right jane what do you give this one uh 7.8 oh, okay mm. yeah i was gonna say uh portal potties but oh portal uh, potties <laughs> nice <laughs> i like that um I, I do love this movie i think it's very good uh but yeah one thing i think it is lacking a little bit is visual stunning like it's like the uh the visual concepts of it are not as great as like some other a24 movies or movies that are like this you think mm-hmm. you could have used more like spider imagery would that have helped you not necessarily like that's not what i'm talking about like i just feel like it was a lot more like gloomy and not as pleasing to me as other films right this yeah. movie is not dynamic and it's uh the, the way stuff shows up on yeah. screen i don't think it, it's 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 all that same sepia yellow saturated tone and it yeah. doesn't I was trying to, I think it lightens, or it becomes less saturated throughout the film. Because uh, I, I was watching, I was trying to keep an eye on that. And yeah. so I, I think that's kind of one maybe kind of change it takes as far as its, as far as its cinematography. But it's, I mean, it's, it's the, you know, it's like you said, it's a, it's, I mean, it feels like a desert and it feels like you're watching a Las Vegas film, but it's in Toronto. It's like an interview for this yeah. movie, like Chick Hall was like, I wanted to do dark, darker movies. Right. So he did this in Prisoners or whatever. And then, uh, so like he said, he's like, oh, we just put it out in the world. I wanted my movies to be darker. And like, it's just like, I read that interview and like I watched the movie again. And like, there's that scene where he's like sitting in the room. And it's like super dark. It's just the like light on him. Yeah. Mm. I was like, man, really doing darker movies, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like physically darker. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, big fan of this movie. I'd recommend it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, I'm going to give this like a, I mean, it's like a nine to me, but that's also because I just have such a personal love for this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, just every time I watch it, it feels like I am coming up with something new with it. And we talked about Vivarium, where it's like that movie is just what it is, and you can <laughs> never get anything more out of it. It's, yeah. it's like my like my score could only go up from here. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's like yeah, every time I watch this movie, I like even just kind of getting ready to review it for now. My theories on it completely changed from when I the last time I watched it, like maybe a year or two ago. Yeah, and then the first time I watched it, you know, in two thousand fourteen my theories have completely changed from that time it's just this is such an intriguing movie and i'm i'm constantly trying to find out something new about it and that's why i i give it such a a high spider rating yeah 
Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I am fascinated by this movie, and it, it is one I will continue to watch regardless of if I'm going to do a podcast on it, just because I just... I'm enamored with the new ideas I can come up with watching it. Yeah. And I think that's what makes film art instead of a product. Like you look at, like you can't watch Avengers 10 times and come up with new ideas of what it means. You can watch it because you enjoy the spectacle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which I have, but, but I don't, yeah. yeah I'm not, I'm like, not watching it like, <laughs> okay, what did I like? I might like what Easter eggs I missed or something exactly, like that. But I'm yeah. not like, like what's the meaning of this movie? You're not like, what is Thanos really yeah. saying here? And like, that's why yeah. I think like, like, so much of the box office stuff like that is just product and this is art and i think there's just a very big difference between those styles of film i think they can both be entertaining absolutely it just depends on it, yeah it depends on what medium you want to kind of dabble in i mean time. i'll eat king super sushi but i prefer to go to the restaurant yeah there you go yeah. that's a great way to put it that's a bold <laughs> lifestyle it's not that bad dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna need a portal potty. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> All right, are we wrapping this one up? I'd say so. All right. <laughs> With that, uh, I'm your host Connor. I have my co-host Jaden <laughs> and our former guest Calvin. Thanks. Uh, what platforms back. are we on, Connor? Oh my gosh! Yeah, we are on Audible. We're on YouTube, Spotify. We have uh, Apple Music coming up. We are going to be everywhere you ever want to find a podcast. Yeah. Follow us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Yeah. Soon we're going to be in your dreams. Yeah, you, you won't be able to get away. <laughs> spider scrolling with Connor, Calvin, and Jaden Wiggs. I still cannot believe a spider literally. People are going to think we're ascended. People are going to think we're lying yeah. <laughs> when they listen. It literally fell down from the ceiling and, and descended in front of us. It was it's, pretty neat. It was giving us its blessing. <laughs> All right, with that, thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting.